Let's just continue in that um, attitude of prayer um, and perhaps just think personally uh, about uh, the fact that we are about to pick up the word of God and hear from him directly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have your word that we can read together, hear from you. And Lord, we pray that as we read this morning and as we look and continue to look at the life of Peter, that we will learn from you. Lord, we ask that you would even put within us the desire to learn from you, as I know personally that's not always there for me. Lord, I pray that we would have that real desire to learn from you. Lord, I pray that you would take away fear following you and that we might be open to your prompting today in Jesus name we pray Amen just uh, thinking I'm stood here which I couldn't have done last week um, because we were celebrating weren't we we were celebrating uh, a wonderful occasion the resurrection of Jesus Christ and I thought the manner in which we celebrated that was fantastic um, we sang very loudly and we proclaimed that Jesus had risen and to top it all we had those two wonderful testimonies of how Jesus had restored two lives and we witnessed their baptism and then we heard that encouraging message from Ian and we could be absolutely sure that this prophet who said, I will die and rise again, was a true prophet of God because what he said came true. Maybe you've been celebrating this weekend um, either a wedding or a day off work, maybe, or both even. I think celebrating is brilliant, isn't it? It, it, it? It takes us to a place that is um, something we can enjoy and be a part of and, and normally um, it's with other people as well and, and we, we have this great celebration. But it tends to punctuate life rather than be a way of life. And I guess that's one of its um, reasons that it is a celebration, is a punctuation rather than a way of living. But as the celebrations draw to a close, um, what are we left with? I don't know if you saw any pictures um, on Friday after the wedding. What's left? The clearing up, usually. Bit of a mess. We've got to put it all back together again. But oddly enough, and I think maybe it is oddly, um, and I'll accept I can be a bit odd, um, oddly enough, I find that quite, as, quite exciting. It's quite wonderful. Why? Well, it can mean a bit of a new start. It's an opportunity, perhaps, to change things slightly or do things in a different way or put things back together slightly differently. Or it could be an encouragement to continue and say, yeah, let's do that again in a few days, weeks, months, years, whatever. 
So in a sense, the putting back together is kind of a preparation for what is coming next. And as we continue looking at um, the life of Peter, we've kind of followed his travels um, from being just a fisherman, a regular fisherman by the side of a lake, to this follower of Jesus. And over those few years, his life has changed dramatically. And we've watched that happen. But this bit today is commonly referred to as the reinstatement of Peter. He's kind of brought back to somewhere and re-lifted up, restored. And the week of roller coaster events where Jesus has had that triumphant entry into Jerusalem and then he's killed on the cross and then he's risen again. It seems to be a bit of a lull now and there's a bit of clearing up to do before the next great public event, which we know and can look forward to as Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit. So we come to um, John chapter 21. which is on page 1090 in the Red Bibles. And John has, in chapter 20, given us the account of the empty tomb... We've seen Jesus appear to Mary, uh, but not to the disciples. And then we've seen um, Jesus appear to the disciples and then to Thomas, um, or um, when Thomas is there. And so we, we reach this point where we start at verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. 
It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. There's a lot in that first section that would have um, prompted the disciples to remember things that had happened. Um, the, the net full of fish, um, the fishermen have already had that experience. There's the bread and the fish and Jesus handing that out. Uh, and, and of course, um, there's the, the actual dealing with the bread and, and the images of, uh, of breaking the bread and giving that out as well. So the disciples are sat there on the beach enjoying breakfast with the risen Lord. But when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the brothers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say this disciple would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? I'd like to speak um, very briefly on this passage uh, so that we have plenty of time later for some prayer and focus on just one strand of what's going on here. Um, as with most passages in John... <laughs> Um, there are many different aspects that we could pick up and we could focus on. Lots of little nuances 
um, that may or may not mean particular things but are quite interesting to have a look at anyway. Um, and this passage is no exception. Um, but we're not really going to go there with that. We're going to concentrate our attention on what's going on with Peter. Because our title is The Way Back from Failure. That's what we're looking at this morning. The Way Back from Failure. What was Peter's failing? Well, if you recall that just before Jesus was crucified, he denied that he knew Christ. He denied that he knew Christ three times. But after that, he still mourned Christ's death. He still ran to the empty tomb. And he still met with the risen Jesus. So Peter has denied Christ three times and then he's been able to engage with the emotions and all the celebrations uh, that have gone on. But this denial still hasn't been cleared up, if you like. There's a bit of a mess still there. And in this passage we see Peter, he's enthusiastic as ever. None of that has gone. He jumps out the boat as soon as he realises that it's the Lord. So his enthusiasm has not waned at all. But after the breakfast, that's when uh, this, this clearing up happens. And Jesus challenges Peter. And Peter is given this opportunity to reaffirm his love for his Lord. And effectively to accept the responsibility of this ministry um, that Jesus is placing on him, which is to feed or look after all the followers of Christ, effectively to lead the church, or what will emerge as the church. It's not a comfortable process by any means. And we read that it, Peter is hurt by Jesus' questioning. But it does seem... Necessary. Jesus certainly thinks so. And as we look through the book of Acts, we can certainly see the benefits and how Peter comes back from this and takes on the role. And I think we can take many encouragements from this encounter. Um, I'm going to list four. I think the first is that we can be assured that Jesus is who he says he is. And Ian spoke on that last week. But John recognises him from afar. They're about 100 yards away. My eyes certainly wouldn't recognise anyone um, at 100 yards. Um, but John recognises him, and the others are clearly convinced as they breakfast with him. There's no doubt Jesus is risen and has appeared to his disciples. He is who he says he is. So that's the first encouragement. We can be assured that Jesus is who he says he is. The second one is that we can be assured of forgiveness and saving from our sin. Now that sin leads to death. Well, Peter has confessed he's a sinful man. Earlier on, as we've watched him in his journey, he recognises, I'm a sinful man, Jesus is the Son of God. We know that he's denied Christ. 
And yet, here he is being given a leadership role, which will actually end with him experiencing a similar death to Jesus Christ. So he's been given this high honour, if you like, or place. What Jesus has achieved on the cross assures us of forgiveness of sin. We can look at Peter and say, yes, Jesus was happy to interact with him in that way. Forgive his sin. And the resurrection of Jesus, that assures us of everlasting life despite our sin. So we can be assured of forgiveness and saving from our sin. That's the second encouragement I think we can take. The third is that we can be assured of our calling. Sometimes we might think of our faith as our decision to follow Christ or something along those lines. But if we examine it a bit more closely, um, we see that actually God has been leading and calling and prompting us all along and we've responded to that. And in this passage, Peter can be absolutely sure of his calling Despite those previous denials and and the times when he messes up a bit, his affirmation of love for Jesus is accepted. God knows his heart. The intention of Christ is to build his church on Peter, the rock. It's unchanged by those denials. It's unchanged by all of Peter's inadequacies or the difficulties that he'll go through. Why is that? How can we be so assured of our calling? It's because the calling is Christ's calling and it's Christ's equipping. So we can be absolutely assured of our calling. And lastly, for the fourth one, I think we can be assured for the future. Whatever that may hold. Here, despite being given a message that he would effectively follow Christ to his death, Peter can be assured that Jesus knows the future. So we can be assured for the future. So what about us then? Is Peter an exception? Well, yes, he's special, he's unique, and no one else, in a way, is like him. But was he the only one to be given second chances, third chances, or more? I think when we read the Bible, we see people always having... Second chances, third chances. Moses kills a man, but ends up leading God's people out of Egypt. David, same thing, ended up as Israel's greatest king. The prophets even seem to get things a bit wrong, and God steps in to correct them. What about Jonah? Came across um, this story, which is... I think quite uh, quite a nice one, really, uh, that, that makes this point. Um, I, I don't know who it, I don't know the person uh, who it's about, but uh, she says this. Several years ago, my husband and I were strolling along the shores of nearby Harrison Lake, admiring the wares of the vendors who had set up temporary shops on the sand. And one artist caught my attention and I stopped. I learned that this French artist had been fascinated by the slabs of slate stone and the jagged edges begging to be painted into mounted scenes, mountain scenes. 
So he had numerous resulting pieces on display, but my eye immediately rested on one in particular. It was as if he had sat in my family room and painted using the colours around him. I loved it. I went closer and instinctively reached out to touch it. The artist had been watching me, and as I reached out, he cried, Don't touch it! Too late, he added. It's still wet. And to my dismay, I had already left my thumb smudge in the wet paint. And the picture of perfection was ruined. His face was severe, and he handed me a scalpel and said, Now you have to fix it. I took the scalpel in my hand and looked at the painting. I knew I could not repair the damage I had done. Then the artist's face broke into a smile. His eyes twinkled and he said, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. And with a few deft strokes of his hand, the painting was as good as new. God specialises in taking sinful people and turning them into his leaders, ministers, servants, whatever the calling happens to be and however you wish to describe it. He doesn't choose perfect people and he does not make his chosen ones perfect the instant they turn to him. He can and does make repairs, changes, alterations along the way as we mess up. We're good at putting up barriers, though. I could never be like that, I might look at someone and say. I don't know how he has the patience to. Or how can she have so much wisdom? I would never understand. And so we go on. Anyone here serving the Lord in whatever capacity... Do we think we do this in our own strength? Of course not. God empowers us. God enables us. God equips us. In a few weeks we'll celebrate again Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And then we see Peter start to fulfil his calling. But it's not his power, is it? It's God's. Maybe if we look at others and say, I could not do, or I could never do. We're actually meaning then, God cannot do. But the last bit of this passage seems to suggest we don't have to worry about what other people are doing. The great thing that comes out is, don't worry yourself about others and their calling. You just make sure you follow Jesus as he leads you. If he has other plans for someone else, don't worry about that. Just follow Jesus.
We're going to um, have a time now where we can um, have some song and have some prayer ministry time. And um, we've got plenty of time for this. Um, We've kind of reached a point in Peter's journey um, where a lot's happened and it's perhaps a good time to reflect um, on our association with that and looking at um, our own lives in, in the sense of this reinstatement and calling, um, following all the celebration and perhaps deal with anything that we, um, or that the Lord might be prompting us is standing in the way of that. So let's not miss this opportunity. We have plenty of time. Um, We'll sing a song. um, And if you would like uh, prayer, then everyone on prayer ministry is is, uh, available today, either at the front or at the back. Or if you don't feel you can or want to move around, just raise your hand uh, and someone from the prayer ministry team will come to you. Or if there's someone you particularly like to pray with, Um, you can obviously just go and and ask them to pray with you or pray for you Um, over the next, well, we've we've got uh, around 20 minutes or so, I think. So... um